James uh, mentions teachers because he wants to get into talkers. And teachers talk a lot, so that seems at least to me to be the connection between the teachers and the talkers is the teachers are the professional talkers. But many of the rest of us, even without being professional, do a pretty good job of it. We talk, and our lips move, and our tongue flies, and uh, it's sometimes wonderful, and it's sometimes horrific. And so he gets into this, and starting in verse 2, he says, We all stumble in many ways, but if you want to take stock of yourself, if you want to assess yourself, he says, don't worry about your muscles, how much you can bench press. Don't worry about your stamina, how long you could run without dropping over. Check your words. Check your tongue. And he says, if you could be without fault in your speech, man, you got the rest of it made. You're, you're complete. You're whole. You're perfect. You're a, you're a disciplined person. If you can keep your mouth shut when you should, if you can say it with gentleness or respect or diplomacy, if you could not say it at all, whatever is called for, if you can do it with your mouth, the rest of you, you've got what it takes to discipline the other things of life. <clears throat> and then he uh, describes the leverage of a small, important point or a small important part and how that can be transferred to manipulate or to run a whole entire organization. He uses the bits in the mouths of horses. He uses the uh, rudder in the way of a ship. And he's comparing these to the tongue. And he says in verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, it may, but it makes great boasts. So just like the rudder of a ship is a very small part, physically speaking, by comparison. It's huge because it can control everything in that ship. It controls the destination, the port of call, because it sets the direction. Consider, uh, uh, the, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person who or sets the whole course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. There are some other statements in the Bible that are pretty strong about our speech, our tongue, our talk, our conversation, our words. Uh, look at these few. Jesus made the point that the mouth itself, while that's what we hear and that's what we get angry at, and we say to someone, watch your mouth. But Jesus said it really isn't the mouth at all. We, we use that as the focal point. But it far, the issue of what we say lies far deeper than just simply a moment where off the cuff I made a sarcastic remark. It's way deep down in the heart. And Jesus said, look, the heart is just, the, the, heart is just the, uh, the, the surface of the thing where the thoughts bubble up. And so 
the, I'm sorry, the mouth is just the, the surface of things where the issues of the heart bubble up and come to the surface. So he says, if you're evil, how could you even say anything good? You have a, you have a twisted heart. You have a cold heart. You have a, a vile or corrupted heart. You have a diabolical or scheming heart. How could you even compliment anybody? How could you even look out and think of or say anything good since your heart is potentially pointed in the direction of evil? So this is how Jesus characterized it. That the heart is simply the overflow, just like uh, on a dam, on the side of a dam, you may have an overflow spout. And he's saying, don't get mad at the water that comes out of the spout. It's all coming from the dam. If you don't want water coming out of the spout, lower the volume in the dam. Here's another uh, statement by Jesus. Men will give an account of their words. Boy, I wish this were not so. I wish I didn't have to stop and think and ponder what I was about to say. Not worry about the fact that it would ever be recalled or remembered. I wish I could just fly off and say what I wish in the moment and think, that's history, it's all going out there in the cosmos and nobody will ever, ever snap it up again. But Jesus said, no, um, by our words, he told us in another place, we will be condemned or we will be exonerated. And so Jesus said, make sure that your words are not careless because... Um, they will be used as a source of judgment referencing your own life. In, in another statement, Jesus also pointed out that it was, it's the issues of the heart and it's not what we eat with our mouth or even, by extension, what we say with our mouth. Although, we clearly have room to talk about the importance of our speech and that's what James does. But Jesus, again, just reminds us that it's not just the, the words, but it's the thoughts and the emotions and the sinful tendency that gives rise to the words. Those are what the words express. Here's another place in Scripture where we're talked or we're told that our speaking should be truthful. Our speaking should... Uh, shouldn't just give vent to thought without it shouldn't give vent to our hearts without thinking about it without putting up at least some sort of a grid or a filter through which our words must pass because many things depend on what we say and many things are influenced by what we say similar another verse in Ephesians our talk he says can be unwholesome and by that, he means a number of things. But principally here, putting people down. You're not making someone whole. You're cutting them up in pieces. And you put them down. And you're not building them up. And he says, that's not good. Don't, don't do that with your mouth. It's very, you know, it's very easy to do. It's very tempting to do. But he says, make it your goal to let your speech bless people. That they can... After you've talked to them, they can say, I feel like I am somebody because they left me feeling that way. I feel like I'm special not just to that person, but to the Lord himself because the way that person treated me and spoke of me and spoke with me. 
as you know, in the Old Testament, in the pithy little uh, collection of sayings from Proverbs, there are uh, many verses that talk about our speech and our words. And he reminds us in this most famous verse, probably in the whole book, that our words can get a war started or they can bring peace between two factions. Words can negotiate. Words can ameliorate, ameliorate, how do you say that word? Uh, sentences or people, uh, uh, circumstances. Words can, uh, never mind, you know what I'm saying. They can turn away wrath. They can heal, but they can deceive. And how many people and how many times through how many centuries and how many cultures have had their hearts literally crushed because someone deceived them? They trusted them. Maybe it was an employee. Maybe it was a mate. And they found out that they really were somebody else than what you thought. And their deceitful speech had led you on for a long time. It's a horrible thing. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers. Job gave voice to this when he's saying to these guys who keep just kind of slamming him down and every question he raised, they would give an answer and say, Job, you're just, you're way off. He finally got tired of it and he said, you know, you're tormenting me. You're crushing me. By having all your pat answers and by never giving me room to even vent or question or ponder what it is that God's doing here, you're forcing me into such a mold with your speech by saying, Job, you're wrong. Job, be quiet. That he says, you're crushing me with your words. So it's just an image of words with the, of the power of our words, like cinder blocks or uh, uh, the weight of a car or something that can crush lives. They can crush hearts and cause um, a, a person to be deformed or to be injured. And then, of course, in the book of James itself earlier, we, used, we, we read this word, this, this word that says, look, um, our speech and our religion really are related to each other and they impact each other. You know, this is one of our most cherished freedoms. This is one of our most cherished gifts as Americans. But what God is saying to us here in this message in James is just because the government guarantees you this right does not mean that everything you may say is all right. That's what James is pointing out. James is happy, unconcerned about whether the government will allow us, allow us the freedom to say what we wish. You know, it really is a very cherished part of our of our lives, the freedom to feel that we can express the desires, the ideas, the, the burning issues of our hearts, that we can express this. You know, I've been amazed as this uh, situation has unfolded in Ukraine and Russia, how that the Ukrainians have been able to, te to tell the world all about it. In the old days, I thought to myself, you know, in that corner of the globe, this whole conflagration could have been happening and hardly anybody would even have known about it. But now you have the president of the country who's trying to, who, who the one side's trying their best to kill 
He's on TV talking to our Congress and saying, here's who we are and here's what we want and here's what... And, and he's, he's freely able to, give, to speak. It's a cherished part of our, of our lives. <clears throat> but just because this is something that we real, realize is, is such great value doesn't mean that then there are no consequences or no rules or no expectations that God has for us, and that's exactly what James gets at. When he opens here, when he first says here in verse 3 about a bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder of a ship, he's saying something that, about this as the principle, that a small bark can bring about a big bite. That's what he's saying. Hey, what do you think of that? I don't know what that has to do with anything. But it's a, I mean, it's a big mouth, you know. And James is kind of talking about being a big mouth. I love it. Uh, it's kind of an image of our speech. But what he's saying here really is that, uh, that small words have, can do big damage. On the contrary, vice versa, small word of encouragement, a small word of hope, a small word of, of urging someone on can do a great deal of, of good in helping to shape someone's life and helping to influence them. A small word of motivation just to come alongside of someone and say, you can do it. I know that you can. I'm cheering you on. I'm praying for you. I love you, and I'm just watching and hoping something that small, just, just a, little, a little bit in the mouth can turn the whole direction of a life. And we know that because we have experienced those small words of encouragement, of comfort. I, I, I have experienced so many of them in the last couple of weeks. So many of you and other folks have have spoken small words of comfort to me. And cumulatively, they've had a tremendous effect in just helping me to, un- to cope with and, and to, to be able to move on um, with, my own, with my own grief. So he's saying words may be small, but they have huge potential. Another way of looking at it, he talks about the forest fire. He talks about the, um, the rudder of the ship. And, it's, and, and he's saying, look at the consequences that one small remark can bring. It could be that a divorce started with one caustic comment. Where, you, where these two people realized, oh, we don't seem to be on the same page here. In fact, we don't seem to be in the same book here. And there may be a moment where there was some cutting remark or some lie or deception where the person said something that caused that other one to realize, I got a whopper of a fight on my hands. I'm not sure that I can survive or that we can survive this. So he's reminding us of this this potential, uh, this huge potential of our words. And he, speaking of fire, 
Well, look at here. You got you to look at this picture. I don't know if you can. Can you see what this is? Sometimes these are a little bit blurry up here. Now, I, 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 can't, I cannot, I don't know if this was staged or if this was just uh, somebody happened to walk in the door and said, this is so stupid, I got to capture this. I actually got to take a picture of this because no one would believe me that anybody could be this stupid. Um, James says that the tongue is a fire. And it's quite an image because the, there's two things I want to say about that. The first one is that the problem with a fire, even if it's a small spark, is that we live in a world where all these other people around us are combustibles. All around us are paranoias and fears and egos and ideas that people have. And sometimes we could just say one thing and we could just set off an explosion. I mean, uh, you've heard of the term mob hysteria and mass hysteria and all that kind of thing. The emotions, the prejudices that people carry around with them are deep. And it doesn't take a whole lot of fire, of spark, sometimes to set off the whole forest, the whole field, the whole building is up in flames. That's what James is saying, that we have to be careful about with our tongue. And not just, I want to say this not just on the negative side of things. I want to say it on the positive side of things too. You know, all around you are not only the paranoias and fears of other people just easily set off in the wrong direction but all around you are the law is the love and the trust and the expectations and the uh of, of other people and those are not only the first ones are volatile but these are vulnerable the fact that people expect you to live a certain way to do a certain thing way to think a certain to be a certain person the fact that they hope in you and they trust in you and they give responsibilities to you, and they give, um, they give the benefit of the doubt to you. And you, and, and you can say something that just shoots all of that down. And suddenly, the whole building's on fire, just from one spark. So whether it's on the volatile side or the vulnerable side, uh, this, I'm going to go back here. This just ain't a good idea. You know, these tanks are ready to blow this guy right up through the, the ceiling of the joint. And uh, even though I used to play with this kind of thing and then watch the sparks and just, you know, it's, it's amazing when you're grinding something, the stream sparks that can go. But th that's really not too bright there. And this is, this is what James says, that, that our tongue is not only surrounded is a fire that's surrounded by other circumstances that are quite combustible but he says on top of that we don't even need to be combusted ourselves because you know what he says the tongue is set on fire by hell and that's a pretty uh pretty astounding idea that that uh i i don't have to have a source 
It's, uh, it's like a fuel tank on fire fed by an underground hose or an underground fuel. Or it's like a, a, a something that's on fire. It's already hooked to an underground hose. I mean, uh, this is a pretty powerful analogy to say that my tongue is fueled by the fire of hell. And by the way, in case you wonder, I didn't write this. But I did write this. I'm going to sing a song. And this, <clears throat> let me switch here. Can you hear me? Uh, I'm going to call this my confession. I had my trouble so this morning. I hope I can see this. Uh, my wife forgot salt. She was making soup. I spit it out and told her what I thought. criticized her skill and then her ethnic group then I said other things I really hadn't thought oh what is wrong with me why do I say the things I say does my mouth have a mind all of its own these words just slip right through. Are they hurt and insult too? Do I have a wild hormone? I blabber when I really shouldn't speak at all. I say yes when I really should say no. I badger, bait, and switch until it starts a brawl. My words can brag and boast until they steal the show. What is wrong with me? Do I say the things I say? Does my mouth have a mind all of its own? These words just slip right through. They hurt an insult too. Do I An alien hormone. You can laugh if you want, it's all right. The other day, my tongue took off and told a lie. But did it go and hide itself in shame? You know it didn't. I fabricated more and 
piled them ten feet high and then got caught but I found someone else to blame oh what is wrong with me why do I say the things I say oh my tongue is as slick as silicone it slips and slides and glides oh, it burns like acetone do I have the devil's hormone hormone but that's what he says from the fire of hell okay yeah that was after uh, she forgot the salt in her soup we're frustrated we get frustrated with ourselves I'm sure there isn't a single one of us here that have not wished we could take back our words I'm quite sure that all of us have had these brilliant moments when we said, shouldn't have said that. I wish I hadn't said that. I'm sorry I said that. And we get very frustrated with ourselves. And James says, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty pathetic. It's a pretty pathetic uh, indictment on us human beings we can train lions and tigers. We can train crocodiles and alligators. We can train porpoises and everything in the world. And we, can't, we cannot tame or train or make useful or bring under control our own tongue. Because it's irrepressibly prone toward evil. It, it, it just goes that way. Maybe it's boasting, maybe it's gossiping, maybe it is telling lies and piling them ten feet high. Maybe it's inappropriate sexual jokes or hurtful words. Or maybe, as he talks about here, it's just cursing God or cursing men made to be in God's likeness. I mean, you can take your pick, there's a wide variety of styles and options as to ways that our tongue can be savage in our ways our tongue can be out of control. And he goes on to say this. You know, uh, I'm going to read now from verse 9. With the tongue, we praise the Lord and Father, and we curse men made in His image. My brothers, this should not be. Can both... Fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? In other words, if I can rephrase this, James is saying, you know, there are things in the natural world that we just expect to work a certain way. When we come to a grapevine, we expect to harvest grapes. And if the grapevine had olives on, we wouldn't tolerate it for real long. We'd say, well, unless the olives were more valuable than the grapes, I guess. 
that'd be okay. But ordinarily, when we plant a crop or we build a building or we, we sow a seed, we expect to harvest exactly what we expect and what we designed and planned. And if somehow or other we sowed a seed and it went a different direction or we went to get water from a spring and it had somehow gotten salty, we would be more than disappointed. We would say, I won't put up with this. This is intolerable. I'll close this spring up. I'll cut this sapling down. There's, there's, no point, uh, there's no point putting up with it because it's never going to give me what I'm looking for, so I'm just going to get rid of it. And James says this is how, as human beings, we operate. We have a certain expectation, and if something doesn't meet it, eventually we, do, we just get rid of it. And he says, you think God must look at it any differently? Uh, our language? When he says, this isn't what I gave them the capability of speech for. I gave it to express love. I gave it to express affirmation. I gave, it, it gave them the ability to speak so that they could plan and organize, so that they could love and they could uh, work together and, and bless each other. I didn't give them this gift so that they could call each other these kind of names so that they could get in a contest to see who could insult the other. That's not why I gave it to them. And he's saying, be careful, because God gave us speech to express our inner being, but he may get sick and tired of its abuse, just like we would say at some point, this is not right. This is not natural. This spring that I'm counting on for fresh water but it's giving me salt water. I, I'm, I'm going to do something drastic. This is simply what James is pointing out to us. Now let me go back uh, before I close here to verse 2. I read it, but I just skipped across it. If we can keep our words under control, if, you know, I, I personally often envy those of you who are quieter, the quieter type. My mother said she never had that problem with me. I know we didn't have the, that problem with our son. Uh, he came out talking, and he hasn't stopped yet. And, and I suppose that he's following after my footsteps. And uh, sometimes I think, oh, if I could just have the demeanor or the personality that could be more quiet and, and, and not be quite so verbal, maybe the temptations and the problems wouldn't come along as much. But he's saying here, if it's not really talking about quietness, actually. Although many times a sign of a tongue under control is a tongue that says nothing. But he's talking about being in control, being in charge, and being very able to stop when we should stop. And he says, uh, this is a sign of a maturity level. This is a sign of a godliness, of a discipline that is good enough that it can, that it can affect anything in your life. And, and his point is, if you can control your speech, then you, you're going to be able to control other things as well because it is a 
an amazing spiritual discipline. I have at the bottom of your sermon notes this quote I ran across somewhere. The control of the tongue is not just an evidence of spiritual maturity. It is a means to it. You want to become stronger. You want to become more mature in the eyes of the Lord, in your walk with the Lord, in the life of your spirit. Discipline your tongue. He's, this, is, this is what this is saying. How do we do that? You know, as I said earlier at the beginning, this is a pretty precious uh, area of life for us. We are born to talk, whether we are extroverts or whether we are not. It's a compulsion. Anybody who uh, is either deaf or mute suffers a grave handicap and we feel sorry for them. Because they're not able to give and take in conversation. It's the most human of all our traits. Is the the ability to converse. And to share ideas. And to share love and companionship. Not simply to stand beside each other. But to look into each other's eyes and actually say something. This is is a, a tremendous part of the image of God within us. But it's also... Volatile, and it's also very vulnerable for us. And so um, he's saying here, if we can discover how to really completely and, and, and truly control our speaking, then we have a pretty good shot of being strong people. I want to close by saying this, that the Bible makes it clear. Back to the words of Jesus, said, look, the heart is the real issue. That there's only one way to control your words. And that is you have, to, you have to control your own heart. And the only way that I know of to control your own heart. Is not to get in an argument with someone. And see who's the stronger or the greater. Or who can outlast you. The only way to control your heart is let God have it. And say Lord you have created me and given me life. And so I ask you to forgive me. Clean me out. To, to, to not en- enable me to feel I have to worry about things that I have done in the past or that others have done or said about me. With your forgiveness, I can truly be born again. And I ask you to fill me with your spirit so that the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your sight and pleasing in your sight. So that the meditations of my heart, which are inevitably going to bubble to the surface in my words, in my gestures, in my attitudes, that those will be great and that they will be, um, that, that they will reflect what I wish to do. You know, um, in Galatians 5, Paul says that the sinful nature is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit wars with the sinful nature, the flesh. That there's, there's, there's this battle going on between them. And so what Paul urges us there is that we each determine in our own heart to let the spirit have his way within us. Rather than giving vent to the selfishness, which James says really is an expression of hell. It's a, it's an, it's a temptation It's a desire or a a temptation seeking to destroy us. There's a lot to think about there. I'd like to lead us in a moment of prayer, then we'll sing together a song about the love of God. Lord, uh, your love and your power 
can help us to, uh, to win this battle with increasing regularity. I suppose that we will never fully tame our tongue in the degree that Jesus himself had. Because it is set on fire by hell. And we are people besieged by hell. We are people tempted from hell. And so we come to ask for the power of forgiveness and the power of control for the things that we say. Let us rejoice more in the things we do not say than in the things we do. Knowing thereby we have prevented the fire from wiping out many places, many habitations, many lives. And we'll thank you and give you glory with the tongues, the speech that you give to us. We'll sing your praise through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's stand and turn to 522. Do the first and the last verse. 